Hey everyone, my name is Aspen Dudzik and I am your host for Forestry Talks, a podcast that explores all things forestry in Alberta. I'm here today at the beautiful Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge in Jasper, Alberta, and we're here to celebrate our annual general meeting and conference for the Alberta Forest Products Association. I've got some great guests that are gonna join me for the show this week. You're gonna love them. I can't wait to share them with you. Hey everyone, I am so thrilled to have Cal Dakin with me, the Director of Innovation and Woodlands at Mercer Peace River. Cal, how are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, and I'm so thrilled to have you on my show. You were just sharing with me a little bit before this that this role is actually new for you. It's been three weeks, you said? Yeah, so uh, just moved into this role. Um, I was... Uh, asked to kind of help out uh, doing some more focused stuff, focused stuff on uh, Mercer Peace River, particularly with the woodlands, but also to maintain the innovation work that I've, I've been doing so far. Yeah, and I'm so interested to talk a little bit about that. Can you tell me what some of the innovation work that you've been doing at Mercer previously looked like and, and how that relates to your new role? Okay, so like on the innovation file, a lot of times um, my job, because you know I'm a forester by trade, which really makes you a generalist. Uh, the joke that they always make is that uh, a forester can do anything but nothing well. Oh gosh! Uh, um, but but that's actually an advantage. Um, you know, there's a lot of research out there that shows that if you have a generalist, oftentimes you can go into a group of specialists. And 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 at uh, our mills, uh, you have all these really smart people that are always looking for the opportunity to improve mm-hmm. things. But they maybe don't have that, uh, maybe they don't know how to build a business case, or maybe they don't know who to talk to, or how do they work through the government process. Right. So so my role is actually to just go and talk to the smart people and say, oh, okay, hey, what does that look like? And, and, and how can I help you with that? And, and really chart a course where they can actually escalate a project and put it into a, more of that uh, you know business lingo and be able mm-hmm. to put forward those proposals and, and get their voice heard. So oftentimes innovation is about being able to have that compelling narrative that's backed in uh, good research, good data, good science, and then being able to bring that forward. So people can say, oh, I can, I can see that vision. Yeah. And, and then you can actually make something happen out of it. So that really is my innovation work is, it's it's not me, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I'm, I'm I'm certainly not that clever. Oh, um, Cal! I think um, you should give yourself some more credit. <laughs> no, no, but it's 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 being able to bring and talk to other people and and to get their ideas mm-hmm. brought forward. Innovation is, uh, you know, it's an iterative process, and you need so many different people. So so really, that's the exciting part is is talking to people and getting their ideas and and then crafting that narrative. Yeah. I'm, you know, super excited to dig into your vision for innovation kind of moving forward. But something that I'm really excited to talk about, um, speaking about innovation and forestry really broadly, I mean, we really commonly encounter this misunderstanding that the forest sector is kind of behind the times when it comes to technology or behind the times when it comes to really, you know, any of these exciting topics that the world is challenging all industries with. Um, When you started out as a forester, did you know that this is where your career was going? Did you have a thirst for this type of work? Well, so I I, I started with the government and I I spent 10 years there, but my focus was really around planning. And, uh, you know, if you're a planner, it's always about looking ahead. Mm -hmm. Where where are you going? How can you get there? And then I, I, I moved into industry. And uh, it was really a planning focus again. So, you know, with me, it's when when you would hear an idea and you'd go, oh, okay, 
um, you know, what is the pathway to get there? Because often like, there's so many good ideas out there. Yeah. But without a pathway, without a, I need to get a permit here and I need to, and, you know, bring on these stakeholders and get their support and I need to get some funding over here. Without planning, without actually doing that, that process, so many good ideas n- never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so right from day one, I was a planner. I never thought I'd end up necessarily in this innovation area but it was kind of a natural extension of of being a planner yeah absolutely and uh so this summer i was really lucky with a couple of uh my team members from afpa to join you in in peace river for a tour of your facility and learn a little bit about some of the operations there there was a really exciting uh new wood room and, and we got to hear a little bit about some of the um innovation opportunities or the exciting projects that you've got your mind to and do you want to talk a little bit about some of those Sure. So, um, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, like we get this um, image that the forest industry isn't being innovative. You know, that would be from people that haven't toured modern facilities. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, whether it's uh, sawmills that are, are working to make sure that they've maximized their throughput by capturing the, va- the, the, the absolute best value for that log. And there's different model- business models that do that. You know, or you come into pulp mills where you're you're trying to find different ways to reduce your environmental impact mm-hmm. while at the same time producing more product, but then also taking all those derivatives from what once was considered a waste stream and actually making value added. Like that, that's that's really how companies have to survive. So that the modern um, approach in forestry and in the forest industry is. It's it's a tight, low margin business. You you have to pull everything you can out of that value mm-hmm. chain. What has changed, you know, over the last number of years that's really provided a renewed focus for us is, of course, decarbonization. Yeah. And so with decarbonization, it, it's it's bringing around this whole new level of innovation. And 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 as we look towards, you know, whether it's uh, de- you know, being net zero by twenty fifty, and and all of those intensity target reductions in between. That's driving another wave of, of, of innovation and, and different approaches to doing things. Mm-hmm. And w- the way I like looking at innovation, so a lot of times when you're, when you're working on a decarbonization project, um, you'll go and say, okay, I want to reduce my intensity of you know, CO2 per ton of pulp produced or per whatever product it is. And you'll go and come up with a project and it, you know, the, the economics don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and but because you're trying to decarbonize, oftentimes you're going to almost, uh, you know, I use the word deadheaded. Like you're you're just going to spend the money to get the decarbonization. But that that's not what the innovation really can be is how do you decarbonize at the same time increasing your productivity? How do you right. maybe capture another product that can actually yeah. re- reduce that? Car- like so, so that's where, you know, it's when I work with the teams is asking those questions about, okay, yes, we need to do this, but do we have to do it that way? Mm-hmm. What, what else would we do? You yeah. know, and, and can we do something that's, you know, by cooperating with a partner that we may not have otherwise partnered with, can we do something different here? You know, so some of the projects that you're looking at is, um, you know, can you produce more energy from uh, biomass? So, you know, oftentimes you'll have what was traditionally a waste stream. Mm-hmm. Now you can make green energy. Um, Incredible. So, so how do you not just make green energy? How do you make, how do you increase the intensity so that you get more green energy per ton of you know biomass that you're putting in? Well, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, then, hey, can you actually? 
capture the carbon from that what would that look like and and maybe you could go to net negative instead of you know just net neutral Mm -hmm. you know so working through all of those kind of things um i think is really exciting and and the the people at the mills uh are always so keen to go hey well what about this Mm -hmm. you know not all ideas are winners but but if you're listening you can often pick out quite a few gems yeah it all starts with an idea right it all starts somewhere yeah um i want to walk us back a little bit just for people that might be starting to grapple with this concept of decarbonization can we talk a little bit about what that means and and what opportunities there are for the forest industry to be part of a really positive carbon story okay uh where to start on that one (laughs) um so from decarbonization uh, um you know so anytime you're producing something almost always you're going to have carbon as you know you're producing some carbon whether it's you know running um like natural gas in a boiler to produce something now the nice thing about um pulp mills in in general is uh it's it's a giant recycling facility in in a lot of respects so once energy is put into that it's always captured multiple times you know so if you're producing uh, pulp you know the you're taking all those wood fibers and then you're having lignin and all those other things that are coming off of it well that's getting burnt in the recovery boiler and that actually allows you to recycle your chemicals what's interesting though is is you're you're it's a giant chemical plant it's a bio a biorefinery mm-hmm. so maybe in additional to pulp well what can you do with that lignin is there an ability to make carbon black or something else that could go into tires or plastics that um, otherwise is being made by petrochemicals, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's really the next the next wave of what's happening at pulp mills is, um, and and I think actually at, at most forest companies is is how do we take these other derivative products that we create instead of just burning them, even though that in itself created energy that allowed us to do this, maybe we're pulling out the more valuable ones, methanols and, and uh, lignins and, 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 and using those, those other part products, uh, soaps and tall oils and, and turpentines. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many things there that are, are maybe being produced now by the biochemical industry. Maybe we can produce them naturally um, from trees. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Derek and I were, I, I stole this from him. He's got a really great line, president and CEO of the Forest Products Association of Canada. You can get anything from a tree that you can get from a barrel of oil. And the more, the longer that I'm part of this industry, the more I'm like, holy smokes, is that ever the case? I mean, every day we're, we're innovating with cool products like lignin and, and a lot of this other kind of stuff that you're touching on. Um, I want to talk specifically about Maybe some of the examples that you can share where Mercer is is scaling up in in the decarbonization space. Yeah, so so some of the work we're doing right now, um, we're upgrading. Uh, our goal is to upgrade one of our our generators, and it's uh, it's actually a power generator. So you you have uh, we have one generator that runs all the processes at the mill. We have another one that just generates power from biomass, um, and we're going to expand it. So taking it from um, its current capacity, and we're going to increase it by, uh, you know, about 60%. Well, and, and it uses a lot of the exam footprint. So mm-hmm. but what that allows us to do, and this is kind of that positive feedback loop. So once you have extra generating capacity, um, which can produce green power, which provides base load. So uh, as Jason Cripps was saying, you know, when the sun isn't shining and the uh, the wind isn't blowing, what's going to provide that green base load? Yeah. So this, this can provide that green base load, but it's only the first step uh, of that positive feedback. So now you have extra generating capacity. 
now if you want to go do a steam saving project or if you want to do some more save some more natural gas you actually can put that through into green power so you have this positive feedback loop where you'll be able to monetize more environmental mm-hmm. uh, um, improvements if, if you didn't have that generator there if you didn't have that place to put that extra steam a lot of times it just gets vented out the stack right so right. so it's getting those opportunities to reinvest and then kind of to move forward there so so that's a that's a big project um, that we're moving forward with and then we want to look at uh, and I and a, you know the whole industry is is looking at this as well as well what's what's some of the battery technology that we can do so you know so if you look at solar and wind it's really tart you know produces mostly during the day well maybe because you know we should be storing our energy our green energy during the day in batteries and then releasing more of it to provide more of that base load in the evenings you know so i know a lot of the industry Mm -hmm. is looking at different battery technology and you know from an innovation standpoint battery technology is growing extremely fast and there's so many different approaches so there's a great opportunity yeah. to apply that. One thing that I want to talk about that I think is important is, um, you know, the governments, both provincially and federally, have, have been very supportive of decarbonization initiatives. And that's really important and it's very helpful. And, and the reason why is if you look at um, on the innovation front, not all of them are winners. Right. Right. Like there's a lot of trial them. Trial and error. Yeah. But, but trial and error can be very expensive. You know, so, True. so how do you de-risk? How do you de-risk that so that, you know, when you, if you are being the first to market or you're doing pilot plants and you're, you're trying out these technologies, which is really essential mm-hmm. so that they can be commoditized and then really pull out more carbon. But if you're that, if you're the first in line um, or the first for your industry in your application, it can be very challenging and it can be very expensive and very risky and so there's there's something that i've you know that that it's just fantastic that you know both provincially and federally there's been a lot of support for this Mm -hmm. and uh not just financial support but like an excitement and an enthusiasm uh, of supporting the industry and enabling us to make that that next step forward and so i think a lot of times you know the government they they get beat up but you know in in this area in this space um i think they're doing a, a really good job of enabling us to make those innovation leaps and and helping us de-risk uh on these new technologies yeah absolutely that's really exciting and, and cal i'm glad you touched on that um something that i want to explore with you i think what's really cool about mercer is that you are an international company so you're not just in alberta you're not just in canada but you've got you know kind of operations going in other parts of the world and so with that you have a little bit more of a global perspective of some of these opportunities how do you think that's enabled you in mercer peace river and in other parts of the company to to really think about some of these more um forward-thinking initiatives I think that's a fantastic question because, uh, you know, a lot of times um, you can get a little myopic or a little bit focused on just what's around you uh, and, and you don't necessarily see the same pressures. So, you know, we have uh, um, several facilities in Germany and uh, if you're aware of what's going on in Germany, I mean, it's one of their hottest, it's the hottest year on record. Oh, wow. And uh, so there's a, a real, like as far as uh, climate change and, and climate change legislation, uh, you know, they could be 15, 20 years ahead of us in in the expectations. And so when we work with our German colleagues, you know, a lot of times they're like, no, 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 you, you don't have, you, you can't wait on this. Hmm. You know, you really need to understand that you need to move forward with this. And here's, the, you know, so there's some opportunities that we're looking at going, you know, I don't see how that's going to be economically viable or I don't know how we can get there. And then they'll be saying, no, 
and then you can see their, their their context that they're working in, both socially and from a business perspective. And you're going, ah, okay. Now that I understand that, okay, maybe we can actually get a little bit ahead of this, take those ideas, see mm-hmm. some of the research they've done, and apply it here. You know, so it it just gives you a different lens to look at things, and uh, more than a lens, you know, uh, very sharp business people that are saying. Hey, you really need to consider this now. You can't wait yeah. ten years, and and that really drives a lot of our our innovation approach. Is you know we're looking there, we're seeing their technologies, we're going, wow, this is uh, this is uh, um, pretty imminent uh, based on what you're seeing. You know, we don't see those legislation pressures now, uh, but they could be coming. Absolutely, yeah. How do you take? Because I mean, you get to be part of some really cool. I guess, global conversations about some of these topics like sustainability and innovation. How do you take that global vision and then bring it back to Mercer Peace River or, you know, some of these other operations in Alberta or Canada? Well, um, you know, I would go back to, you know, being a planner, um, you know, you, 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 it's understanding what those are and then actually trying to schedule out that pathway into uh, reasonable steps that you can actually see it coming through to fruition you know a, a lot of times i've seen when you you know you can have a an idea or a concept you want to make it happen but really it's often talk right like it's it's a nice concept you're going hey this is great but if you can't find a way to go and say you know what how do i be there in three years or five years and mm-hmm. then how do i work my way backwards so a lot of those conversations that's where it leads to is Okay, now here's here we have to actually take this and plan this out, and uh, communication is a really key part of that. You know, so uh, you, you know you hear the messaging uh, corporately, you see, you hear what's going on globally, and say, okay, I've I've heard that. Work with the team, put together a plan, put together and saying, hey, here's all the pieces. Here's 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 the narrative or the story, mm-hmm. but it can't be just a story. Here's the practical approach that's going to result in us getting there. Here's how we de-risk this. Here's how we bring the stakeholders in. Here's the the you know the engineering that we've checked and checked again yeah. and so that we can validate that. Um, because what you don't want to do is you like in, in this in innovation space picking wrong can really erode your ability to move forward. You're going to make stake, mistakes in, in innovation, but don't make expensive ones. Yep. Yeah. Right? Like like make your <laughs> make your mistakes early in the planning phase. Right. Don't make it once you've initiated a project. Right. Really vet it. Really mm-hmm. test it. Really make sure that you're you're ready to, that this is the one and that yep. it fits your business model and it fits your environment and then move forward. Yeah. So then you can have success. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Cal, I'm really curious, what are some of the questions that you get maybe on the ground in the operations when you're trying to generate buy-in for some of these maybe crazier ideas throughout, uh, throughout the company? Well, for starters, I wouldn't say there's any crazy ones, right? <laughs> right? Like, like I, I think that there's ones where, you know, because everybody understands where our goals are is, you know, we want to, we want to be able to decarbonize. We yeah. want to be able to diversify our product streams. Um, we want to be able to work with our, our stakeholders and indigenous stakeholders. Um, but how is it that you get by in, in, you know, a lot of times it's, it's really about being systematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I, I really try to be very systematic is, Okay, here's the idea. How do we test that? Yeah. Right? And who's our independent validation that we can get to test that? Who are all those other sources? And so 
by coming and then really coming back with a communication of here's where we're going. Here's our long-term vision. Mm-hmm. Here's how this helps us get there. And here's how in time and where we would be able to position that to move forward. And, and so when you can bring it into those practical terms, that, that often brings your, your buy-in, Yeah. right? Um, if you just come in with an outlandish idea uh, with no real pathway to get there or no funding and not de-risked, uh, you're not going to get the buy-in, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing I think that's critical about the buy-in um, is you can't go and force innovation on people it it does not work right so innovation is about working with people and empowering them and their ideas and then giving them the tools and the support so that they can carry it forward like it's like and so you have to really it's not about like it's not about me with a director of innovation right like you know it's about hey how do we bring your idea your team's idea um and 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 make sure that they've got that Mm buy-in right from the bottom you know they you know on the floor as they call it like how do you have them saying hey they're listening this this is my project I, i i get to bring something forward yeah that's where it works right that's awesome if you try and force it from the top down um you know, often you're going to miss it because you're you're not going to understand on the site, on there, does it work? Does it fit? Uh, whereas if you can say, well, here's a concept, does this work? And you get everybody, go, well, you might not try, you want to try this a little bit or do this a little bit differently. That, like, and that to me, the exciting part is, uh, two is, two parts I would say is, one is getting the team on board to me is very exciting mm-hmm. right like like if you if you can get that organic push that everybody goes hey i'm bought on and i want to go this so i, I really like that yeah and that's sec- where the magic is yes well but the second part is uh can you get to and it's a terrible term but can you execute right can you make that project happen yeah. can you have it delivered on time and on cost mm-hmm. and have you done your planning phase right where you've really de-risked it um, because so many innovation projects they're mothballed before they're finished right and that that's not good and and so that combination though bringing the the people that really know how to implement it on board um, and then providing that you know that structure and approach that's what I think leads to good execution of uh, innovative yeah. project awesome those sound great um, Cal you know, with your experience working in innovation and, and some of these big ideas at Mercer, what's something that you have learned in your journey that you wish you knew when you started? Well, you know, that's that's interesting because uh, when I started, um, you know, I started as a as a forester, you know, actually forest tech. Uh, then I went back and got a degree in, in forest management. And uh, I, I just loved the forest. And I actually had this attitude, uh, you know, and if people ask me, I thought business I shouldn't. I don't. I shouldn't be have to think about business. My job is to think about managing the forest and doing it, regardless of what it costs. I want to think about how the how the forest should be run and, and just do it right. And I and yeah. I put that in air quotes. Um, I don't even know if people do air quotes anymore. But anyway, <laughs> I think uh, so. Okay, so you know. But then I I I uh, I went back and got a, a business degree um, because I and and then I it was it was like a. It was real epiphany. Like it was just an amazing opportunity. It's like, oh, if you really want to do these things in mm-hmm. forest management, do do good forest management, you have to have that business context. Right. Um, it's never devoid of the business context, but business doesn't have to be the big bad 
you know, oh, it's forcing you to make bad decisions all the time. Quite the contrary is good business drives great decisions. Right. Right. You know, so, and, and you, and it's all about creating value. Um, and so it's changing your mindset from maybe grabbing that little bit of, hey, I want to grab my portion of the pie, as they say, instead to saying, how do we create more opportunity? Yeah. How, how is it that if we thought about this differently, maybe there's a different value stream or, or maybe there's a, a new partnership that create more value from the same number of trees. Or if we approach this differently, maybe we can do ecological management more economically because actually it results in less roads and right. less infrastructure. So there's, there's innovation from a project perspective, but there's also innovation that's driven by really good business principles will actually help you with your decision making that enables positive feedbacks. Yeah, I think it's, it's really unique. I love how you're able to kind of bring those two sides of your experience and your knowledge together to, to work in this really cool space. Um, my last question for you, what has you excited about decarbonization in the next five years? So I think that, you know, we're right on, on decarbonization. There's a, there's a, this is a great opportunity for the forest industry, you know, and, and in particular, um, you know, with bio, whether it's biofuels or uh, bioenergy, um, you know, if, if the forest fires that we've seen this year have shown us is that, uh, you know, there's these massive forest fires that are going to occur. Whereas if yeah. we have good forest management that occurs on the landscape, you can actually take some of those products enables that there's you know that you're kind of lowering the fire risk out there but you might be able to produce biofuels and and bioenergy and decarbonize at the same time and i'm hoping fingers crossed because uh, some of those technologies are very close uh you know we might even be able to go carbon negative wow. uh, so i i would love to see in you know if we're going to hit hit our goals uh, by 2050 of being net neutral i i think you know the forest industry is actually going to be net negative and pulling down uh, the carbon footprint for the rest of the country. Wow. Wouldn't that be incredible? It would. Oh, I look forward to it. <laughs> Cal, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Forestry Talks, a podcast that explores all things forestry in Alberta. We've got some more great guests lined up for our AGM this week. Stay tuned for more. And if you're curious to learn even more about forestry in Alberta, check out our website, loveabforest.ca. I'm your host, Aspen Dudzik, and I'll see you next time. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.